Good morning, witches. This is the Witch Daily Show, coming to you from New Orleans, with host Tanya Brown. Our episodes span about 20 minutes long to give you just a little pop of magic. So, tune in, take a deep breath, and enjoy. Good morning. It is May 8th, 2023. It is Monday. I am Tanya, and this is the Witch Daily Show. Today's episode is brought to you by the magic of trees. So let's get your day going with a little magic. Our quote of the day is, you will find that it is necessary to let things go simply for the reason that they are heavy. So let them go. I tie no weights to my ankles. C, Joy Bell, C. So, what are we drinking today? We are drinking Dark Fay, which is a mate from Sip a Spell. This is a yerba mate with green rooibos, cinnamon, ginger, cardamom, orange, lemongrass, aniseed, mango, um, and a bunch of other yummy things. So, uh, we are talking about ginger this week. So ginger is absolutely, I think, one of the best things in the world. Like, I know that's a big thing to say, but it just has this potency to it that, like, really makes you believe in life, you know? There's a few things that make you believe in life, and um, I I have created successful sourdough starter, and when you open that jar and you see it breathing, you're like, oh yeah, like the world is powerful. And then ginger, which like this little nubbin is just so powerful and deep and rich. And um, yeah, it's just, it's magic. So this is from tastingtable.com. Ginger, the spice that took root over 4,000 years ago. So culinary ginger, which so many of us maybe find spicy or sweet or pleasing, um, comes from the Zingberg officinal plant. So University of Madison, Wisconsin Division of Horticulture explains that the freshly uh, rhizome that we eat is neither the root nor the shoot of the plant, but rather a stem that grows horizontally underground. So although ginger technically shouldn't be called a root, we're going to celebrate the spice known as round the world for its distinct flavor profile, as well as its scientifically confirmed herbal and medicinal properties. Per the National Institute of Health, an abundant supply of ketones called gingerals account for the spice's aroma and health properties. Multiple sources uh, support all of this. So China started using ginger around 4,000 years ago. Um, years ago, It originated in southern China, but the historical origins of ginger is cloudy at best because it was cultivated long before written records began. Some say ginger was used 7,000 years ago, which is unlikely, while others may uh, say that it's probably like 5,000. And some historians call into question this so it's just like it's one of those things no one really knows and like people will be like it's seven thousand and then they're like no and then they'll be like fine five and then they're like eh. <laughs> we we'll give you four is 
is kind of where we're at on this. So from written records, we know that Confucius wrote about ginger in 500 BC in the book uh, Analex. He even claimed it was part of his every meal. And much later in 1578, the spice was included in Li Shizhen's Compendium of Matera Medissa. So, yeah, it's ancient. It's ancient. It's always been a part of food and a part of medicine. And within traditional Chinese medicine, a practice that is at least 3,000 years old, ginger is called shangjin, uh, notes mi and qi. So the spice is used in formulations to harmonize the stomach. Ginger is considered a powerful antidote to morning sickness, seafood poisoning, hiccups, and the list goes on. TCM labels the taste of ginger as pungent and thus associates it with treating lungs, spleen, and stomach. Research has shown that prescribing ginger can reduce glycemic uh, levels in those, well, glycemic indices in those with type 2 diabetes. Oh, and it's definitely a big nausea thing. Um, when I was younger and I was in my 20s, I had a co-worker who uh, had cancer and sometimes she was just so nauseous she couldn't eat and she had forgotten her medicine like her nausea medicine at home and I had like ginger drops like little like literal liquid drops in my purse and I gave them to her and she said it like helped her so much so um gingers is just so powerful so uh, traders are said to have brought ginger to the shores of Alexandria and Egypt some 2,000 years ago, according to Natural Medical Care. But the Romans uh, forced high import taxes on the commodity, and a short time later, the empire began falling into ruin. So seasoned pioneers explained the spice trade throughout uh, the Maluku Islands, also known as the Spice Islands, produced the ginger that traders sold at markets in Venice. From 1100 to 400, seasoned pioneers say the traders maintained a monopoly over the spice trade by keeping the location of the island secret. Ooh. So it's beloved. We know. It's beloved. All right, witches. Moving into some headlines. This comes to us from scientificamerican.com. The surprising backstory behind witch hunts and reproductive labor. So this was actually an interview form. This was in like a podcast and it's an interview form. So I'm going to do my best to um, kind of put it together. So this person, Bose, was uh, interviewed and says, we're a group of women sitting in a circle. We are in fact eating a frittata, but we are not at least by any of our admission witches. But in the 16th century, Italy as women resembling and talking about reproductive labor and justice, we could most certainly have been tried. Today, we'll talk about two witch hunting scholars and take you to a journey from the Middle Ages to Italy to Salem, Massachusetts, the present day, to look at some surprising links between reproductive health, labor, and witch hunts. And this is for Scientific American Science Quickly. So I think that's the podcast name. So they arrest a woman and they torture her to death until she has revealed all the names of the others. And then they get into the history of gossip, which I think we talked about a little bit um, 
for our fun Christmas segment, me and Kiki did a thing on gossip and we kind of talked about like the historic uh, importance of gossip. So for the first a century and a half, witchcraft is seen as a collective crime. The idea that when women get together, they do something that is not good. Um, and we touched on this, I think last week when we talked about the truth of witch hunts and how um, I really need to look this up and remember it because I cite it so often. But there was there was a man who was a uh, religious uh, scholar or whatever, or not scholar, but like he was a religious guy and he basically came out and said, just so you know, women are susceptible to the devil. And so it kind of became this thing. Well, if all these women get together, it's going to create this like portal to the devil's influence. So this idea that like when women get together, it's always bad. Like that's kind of where you can see that maybe stemming from. So Bo says it all goes back to Black Death in Europe around the time of the mid-1300s. There was a hunger for labor because so many had died. It creates a whole new concern, you know, about marriage and reproduction and children. And this coincides with the rise of certain heretic movements. Yes, like I was talking about. Like the Cathars who contradicted uh, the established church. Yes, so the Cathars were a group of... Um, they were these group of people, they were still of Christian, but they just were not down for what the church was laying, was laying down. And they kind of became their own little collective society. And there was a huge, um, emphasis on women and women raising children together. And, um, there were still men in the group, but there was, they basically tried to keep the equality that the church had taken away. So it's like, okay, the church is saying women are X, Y, and Z. And this group was like, you know, we'd rather not. <laughs> so uh, they became this little society where uh, the men would still kind of go out and do what they needed to do. And the women were uh, really close knit um, and almost really just as a form of survival. So now we go into the 1400s. Witchcraft appears as a form of heresy, which we've talked about, but there's more than meets the eye to this story. While the story is about witch hunts, it's also about controlling women's bodies for the creation of a labor market and the creation of a peasant class in post-feudal Europe. By the 1500s, you'll have colonization, and this begins to bring silver into Europe. And the more silver coins, the more enclosures, the more people are kicked off the land, and the land is turned to, to commercial use. So, so Sylvia actually argues that the creation of capitalism in Europe was a motivating factor in the rise of witch hunts. As she and other scholars have argued, expansions of capitalism also calls women to lose their social standing and their land, particularly vulnerable older women. We see where this is going. And by the 1600s, uh, it was issued that um, witches and their apparent ability to stop reproduction. So this makes sense, right? There's a monetary uh, gain to let's get all these old women off their lands so we can take it and sell it and use it for com um, commercial use. And because all these people are dying and everyone's so afraid that there's not going to be enough people, if we tell them these women are witches and they're stopping everyone's ability to give birth because we can't overturn the population, everyone's just going to love it. And as we know, from modern, <laughs> from modern politics, people absolutely love 
especially rich people, love looking at all the rest of us and going, hey, just fight amongst yourselves so we can just take everything, you know? Um, so there is a pope that accuses witches of basically abortion and contraception, and it's often women who are knowledgeable about reproductive health who are targeted for witchcraft. And women were the ones who were actually curing people, right? They were the ones who were knowledgeable and understood how the reproductive uh, system worked because they were the one uh, birthing children and uh, being midwives. So these women were actually curing problems with herbs and, you know, uh, ancient medicine. But people were like, oh, well, you had a miscarriage? Mm, you shouldn't have let that woman touch you with all her herbs, you know, like, and actually we're, see we're seeing that again, right? We're seeing that again with all of these um, abortion bans that are causing, uh, I think, it, I forget where, but there's a place where a total abortion ban occurred and um, two hospitals are now shutting down their labor and delivery section, uh, you know, sections because they're like, no, we're going to get sued. Like if a woman um, miscarries, they're going to sue us. Like we're going to, like they're going to come after us. So we're seeing this again, right? They're so fearful that we're not having children because we don't have money, right? Um, I would love to have a child. Uh, I love children. I love taking care of children. Um, I view, I personally believe children should be loved and cared for and protected and I would love to have a child, but I can't afford it. We live in a society where no one can afford to have children, so we're not having children. They're afraid that we're not having children because we're not replenishing the labor market, and so they're trying to ban abortion, and um, what's happening is all these hospitals are like – and all these um, – people who have been in charge of like reproductive care are like, no, they're pointing the fingers at us saying we're killing these babies. And so that is what we're seeing here, right? The the, the people who know what they're doing are going to, are getting their, are getting fingers pointed at and, um, you know, getting in the, in this old day getting called a witch, but in modern day would just, you know, a criminal. So, I mean, history just repeats itself. This is why it's so important to learn and be educated. That's why I kind of get like my, I get my little panties in a twist sometimes when um, stuff is so glossed over or so virally sensationalized. And it's because there is important stuff here. You know, there's important stuff that we should learn. Uh, the people who are like, ooh, books, never. I hate them. I don't want to learn. And they're like, I would rather just do whatever feels right to me without actually learning anything. And like, I'm not, I'm not against that. Do you, but there is power in knowledge and there's power in learning. And this is an example of that. We are literally repeating history here. And, um, they say those who do not history are doomed to repeat it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. So let's see. That, by the way, was for crime of not procreating. This theme around women's roles in domestic labor also shows up in the Salem witch trials. I spoke to Alice Cantor, a writer who happens to be a descendant of a woman tried for witchcraft. Her name was Martha Carrier, and she was seven months pregnant when she was married. So that's sort of a big Puritan, don't do that. She was well known for being very outspoken and uh, had a habit of yelling at her neighbors she was one, you know, she was going to say what she thought. And, you know, as we know, people don't like that. 
right? If you are on TikTok and you see all the um, anti-feminists, they really don't like a woman with a, a woman with opinions. Um, so this was around the time there was that uh, there was a, me- a medieval torture device called a scold's bridle, and it was meant to keep a woman from talking. Yeah. So we're seeing kind of how this works. So if this interests you, if this conversation interests you at all, definitely check out the Scientific American Science Quickly. I'm guessing it's a podcast, um, but I will have the link in the podcast description, and they have an audio here if you want to listen to it. But it's very fascinating. Um, yeah. So I'm going to throw this over to our moon correspondent, and after this break, we will talk more. Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, coming at you with your daily moon mantra for Monday, May 8th. The waning gibbous moon learns something new in Sagittarius today. Here, the moon trines Jupiter and squares Neptune. We may be feeling a bit revved up today with nowhere to go. The square to Neptune is obscuring our ability to see what is coming next, so it will be a little hard to proceed. The better use of our exuberant energy may be exercise of some sort, a brisk walk or some house cleaning. Jump on your bicycle or finally put that gym membership to use. Jupiter in Aries wants us to put our bodies in motion, and if we can't use it to make progress in our day-to-day duties, we can certainly use it to dance our cares away. Your daily moon mantra is, there are shortcuts to happiness, and dancing is one of them. This has been your Daily Moon Mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, signing off and reminding you that you are in charge of your own destiny. The Magic of Trees is not just a book on tree magic. It is about drawing on the strength of forests and tree energy to better connect with ourselves, other people, and the world around us. Each chapter reinforces meditations, spells, and rituals that will reconnect humanity with its roots at every stage of life. These practices take a hands-on approach to life and spiritual work. They lead to individual self-awareness and fulfillment through healthy natural practices. Plus, this text has the added benefit of fine-tuning spiritual tree connections, which never stop growing. Find the magic of trees wherever books are sold. All right, we are back. So we are doing a series this week. I try to do one series a month, and we are talking about the Fae. But we aren't just talking about the Fae as a general category. We're talking about specific versions of the Fae. So for those of you who don't know, and we will be having an expert on pretty soon to talk about this, um, and a good one. It's, it's, a, it's a good expert. <laughs> So, um, there's many different types of fae, right? Into all these little different creatures. And I saw this wonderful video that talked about the desanitization of the fae. So, it, there is a theory that the idea of the fae came along as uh, hu- it was really humans against the wilderness. The wilderness was a big, scary monster. And uh, the creatures of the fae were used to. Um, kind of human not humanize but animate the dangers of the wilderness so we had a bunch of different ones we had nymphs and we have gnomes and we have changelings so changelings is a good example of um this fear that your child may um 
stop existing in the middle of the night, right? And we see that happening with uh, health issues with babies. So there's all of these different versions of the fae. Then we have like the classic fairy, um, leprechauns, brownies, uh, things like that. So the fae were much bigger back, like back then. And I'm talking actual size. They were very intimidating. But then as uh, it is, again, of this theory, I'm not saying this is the way, I'm saying this is the theory, uh, that as humans humans started to gain control o- um, over nature, our view of fairies became smaller and smaller and smaller, right? And over eventually people, all they had to worry about was maybe their little garden. So then the fae or fairies became small enough to just flit around your garden versus these big monsters. So that's kind of the theory. Um, But we're talking about fae and different um, versions of the fae. And honestly, I just picked the ones I thought were neat and interesting. So let's talk about the first one. The nymph. So the nymphs were minor nature goddesses which populated the earth. Although they were ranked below gods, they were still summoned to attend the assemblies of the gods on Olympus. So the nymphs presided over various natural phenomena, from springs to clouds, trees, caverns, meadows, beaches. They were responsible for the care of plants and animals of their domain, and as such were closely associated with the Olympian gods of nature such as Hermes, or is it Hermes? Is it Hermes or is it Hermes? Hermes, Dionysus, Artemis, Poseidon, and Demeter. Um, and then the male counterparts of the nymphs were satyrs, pains, and tritons. So nymphs are said to very much care for the nature of um, the nature in their domain. And this is pretty much how we've seen modern nymphs kind of um, shown. I think the most notable example of this is from Charmed, I think maybe season eight or yeah, uh, where they have nymphs and basically nymphs in Charmed were, again, these beautiful young women who looked um, kind of your basic idea of what a fairy would look like. And they were just in charge of keeping the flowers flowering and keeping all of the movement of nature moving. So that was kind of their job, keep nature moving forward. And um, it's And on Charmed, they were depicted as kind of these um, human-esque fertilizers. Like, they were the reason things continued to grow and thrive. And I think that's really interesting. But I do think it's really cool that they're kind of considered demigods. I never really thought about that. I think that's super neat. So anyways, I think, I hope you think that was neat. And maybe whenever I do these little series, I always kind of hope that you like find a new little thing that you like, (laughs) you know, like part of me is hoping someone listening goes, Ooh, nymphs. I like that. And then you like get a little nymph necklace. Like that's always kind of my goal with these series that where we talk about like creatures and, um, monsters and cryptids where I just hope that you find one and you're like, Ooh, I forgot. I liked that when I was five, you know? So that's usually my goal. So I hope, I, I hope it, it happens. It happens with me. I forgot. I love gargoyles and now I love gargoyles, you know? So anyways, um, oh, and this was from theoe.com. 
All right, witches, I am wrapping up this episode of the Witch Daily Show. I want to give a shout out to listener Shannon Howell Barnes. Shannon, you charming, cunning oracle. I wonder if this is the same Shannon who owns um, a shop out here. Maybe. That'd be neat. Um, Okay. And I also want to give a shout out to listener Josephine. Josephine, you glittery, glowing starfish. Chris, you pretty, charming garden nymph. Oh, Chris, you're a nymph. Look at you. You did it. And Lauren Wilson, you glorious, beautiful oracle. Thank you for so much being Patreon supporters. I really appreciate it. And speaking of Patreon, we're actually doing a Charmed rewatch right now on Patreon. So once a week, we just hang out and watch Charmed together. Well, sort of. I I record a reaction video to Charmed. We watch Charmed together and I insert little tidbits and trivia and if they talk about a goddess maybe I'll correct them you know so if you are interested in watching charmed with us um on the patreon it's for everybody and it's just for us to have a nice time and maybe rewatch a fun little show together so that's happening so if you like that go check it out and before we leave we do have a card pull today our card is the 5 of stakes from the buffy tarot the Five of Stakes finds you feeling like you've stumbled into a pack of teenage turned hyenas. Snarling, growling, and fighting, it's even worse than dodgeball. Your job is to avoid getting pulled into the fray. How can you stop and listen to what everyone is saying? How can you learn from differing opinions? This card encourages you to seek value in conflict, to uplift the underrepresented voices, and rise above the pack. All right, witches. That's all I've got for you today. Don't forget any books, decks, headlines, sources, anything we reference today can be found in the podcast episode description or witchpod.com. And we will talk again tomorrow. Witches, we hope you have a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness and confidence. Links for this week's episodes, our website, Patreon, along with a free daily card pull can be found at witchpod.com. One stop for everything we talk about. Now, take one more deep breath and have a great day. <laughs>